and good morning. What do you believe? We'll come back to that. In the passage we have the privilege of perusing today, the Apostle Paul has written a letter to these people that are in the city of Colossae because in large part regarding what he's heard about what they professed to believe. So what exactly was it that Paul heard that would prompt him while he's under house arrest to write to these people that he's never met and that he's never seen? What he had heard about them and what prompted him through the power of the Holy Spirit to write them was just this, that these people in Colossae were all in for Jesus. That they had given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. That they had believed that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. That he was God incarnate. That he died on the cross in order to redeem and reconcile all of humanity to God the Father. And that because of that belief now, they were dead to sin. That their forgiveness had been bought with a price. And in his letter, we've seen in our study that Paul encourages them, he comforts them, he reminds them, and yes, he warns them to be alert about false teachers, about religious rules and man-made traditions, about human philosophies, and about false doctrines. Here this morning, Paul now proclaims that based upon your belief, there should be and must be corresponding behavior. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the transformation of your heart and of your mind will be reflected in your character and it should manifest itself in your behavior. What you believe should be reflected in your behavior. This morning, we look at what's called evidence of holiness or the behavior that would be consistent with someone who says they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also have what I am always amazed at is this supernatural phenomenon that we get to witness and experience firsthand. Yes, this is a letter. It is a historical fact. Paul was a person, historians, agree that he was Saul of Tarsus, that he came to saving faith, that he wrote this letter while imprisonment, and that was to some people in Colossae. But here's the supernatural impact. The same letter that he penned has relevance today. The same exact letter and its teaching as inspired by the Holy Spirit is applicable to us today. And while written to the Colossians, it works for each one of us as well. Now, I think that's supernatural. I get excited about it. I see that you haven't, but that's all right. We'll work on that. <laughs> Let's look at the text. If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to Colossians, and if you have it on your phone, praise God. If you're going to use one of the Bibles, it's in the seat back in front of you. It's on page 984. If you brought a Bible with you this morning and it doesn't have Colossians in it, come and see us. <laughs> We're going to start at verse 15. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The first evidence, so the first behavior, the peace of Christ. Hmm. In Isaiah, Jesus is prophesied. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government is upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the peace of God that we're talking about here is different from the world's peace. This isn't positive thinking, and it's not about feeling good. In fact, Jesus himself said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, I give to you. There are really two aspects to this peace of Christ. The first is the peace of Christ for every believer. How does Jesus provide peace for each person individually? Well, before accepting Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that we were enemies with God. We were in rebellion and at war with our Creator. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, is how Scripture describes it, we were doomed to eternal separation from God by our sin doomed to spend eternity in hell because of our sin. But praise be to God, when we repent and confess our sins and acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that war is over. And the peace that God has brought by his blood, each individual believer now is able to appropriate it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For the believer, peace with God, peace with Jesus is part of the blessing we receive with our salvation. In fact, Scripture tells us as believers that we don't have to be anxious about anything. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God, and here's the promise, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Why do we have peace? Because we are affirmed by Scripture that God is in control. When you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, every single believer has peace because their citizenship in Christ's kingdom is sure. Their eternal destiny is set and they have victory over sin, and they have individual peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I get excited about that. There's also this corporate peace. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to indeed you were called in one body. Hmm. You see that word rule? Are you looking at it? Do you see it? You're not looking at it. You're looking at me. Look at it. You see it there? Rule? This Greek word, brabio, 
This is the only time in the New Testament that this word appears. Now there's a compound of it in the second chapter of Colossians, but this word rule, this is the only place we find it in the New Testament. And it's really an athletic term. It really means um, like a referee or an umpire. And what he is saying to us, that the peace of God guides us in making decisions. Is this decision consistent with the peace that I have with Jesus? Does this decision promote the oneness I possess with Christ? Where the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, it promotes unity, harmony, and accord among believers. Now, yes, we will have disagreements, we'll have preferences, we'll even have different ideas and conflicts, but because of the peace of Christ, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can't stay there. That we are commanded, and in fact, our behavior would dictate because of our peace with Christ that we have peace with one another. What are the things that poison that? Pride. Pride is poison to peace. So is sin and disobedience. When we disobey obey God's word, it disrupts the peace that we have with God and it disrupts the peace that we have with each other. The first behavior, the first evidence, the peace of Christ. The second one, the word of Christ. We look at the text, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to God. The second evidence, the second behavior, the word of God. Notice there it says richly dwell. Now the word here, dwell, in scripture it means live in your heart, to, to be at home in your heart. That's a wonderful phrase, that the word of God would be at home in your heart. Have you ever visited somebody and they've told you, hey, make yourself at home? Have you ever done that? And you feel, and you feel at home? There's no area that's closed off to you. There's no area where you're restricted, where you can't go. You can go into the refrigerator and get something nice and cool to drink. You can put your feet up on the ottoman. They'll even give you the remote control and you can... You're at home. And he's saying, this is how the word of God should be with us where it is at home. We can't linger here, but are there corridors of your mind and in your heart where the word of God is not welcome? Is the word of God dwelling richly in your heart? What Paul is saying here is that the truths of scripture, its commands and its teaching should be evident in every aspect of our lives and control our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. The word dwells in us when we hear it. He who has ears, let him hear 
is what scripture says. The word dwells in us when we handle it. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. The word of God dwells in our hearts when we hide it. The psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God dwells in our heart when we hear it, when we handle it, when we hide it, and when we hold fast to it. You can't do that without reading and studying and living out the word of God. And today, beloved, I have to say, as I take my foot off the gas for a minute, we really have no excuse here regarding God's word. This generation has access to the word of God in a way that is simply unprecedented. Bibles are available today in multiple languages. You can get Bibles in multiple colors. You can get a Bible to match the color of your purse and the color of your shoes. The Word of God is available on computer, on your phone, in your car, on flash drives, on CD. We have no excuse not to read and study God's Word. Sunday simply can't be the only time of the week that you come and you open God's Word. This should be a part of what you do on a daily basis. I can't linger here this morning, but I want to hasten to point something else out to you that the results of when you let the Word of God dwell in your heart, those results are the same results that you will see when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. We rarely do this, but I'm going to give you some homework. I want you, who said no? <laughs> I invite you during your personal study time to look at Ephesians 5.18 and see what are the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And what are the results of letting the Word of God dwell richly in you? They are identical. Joyful, thankful, submissive. One commentary put it this way, the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same as the results of letting the word dwell in one's life richly. To be filled with the spirit is to be controlled by his word. The text also tells us to teach and admonish. Interesting, the ministry of instruction is part of our changed life, characterized by grateful worship. Teach and admonish, teach impart positive truth, admonish, warn against negative consequences of poor choices. Hmm. Peace in our hearts puts praise on our lips. If you're not at peace with God, how can you praise him? If you're not at peace with other believers, how can you praise God? What would that hymn look like? If you're not at peace with others, what would the hymn that you would sing look like or sound like? Oh, 
how I love Jesus, but I can't stand you. That's not right. <laughs> no, 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 no. We can't sing that. Historians report 110 AD, the early Christians would gather early in the morning to sing praises to God. They would gather together to sing praises to God. The Psalms from the Old Testament, from the Psalter, were put to music. Hymns are an expression of praise that are steeped in the word of God. I thank God for the music ministry here at the Moody Church. If you'll notice, the things that we sing are all biblically based. They are based upon the word of God. These aren't just cute sayings and catchy choruses, but more than that, the people who are singing and leading our worship know the word of God and they know what they are singing and that's how it should be for each one of us. That we are singing from our heart and singing praises and singing the truths that are reflected in the Bible. Spiritual songs refers to testimonies and declaring what God has done. I wonder, has God put a song in your heart now that you've come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is there praise in your heart? Is there worship in your heart? Is there a testimony that you are quick to call out to others to encourage them as well? Praise. When I was a young man, there was an older gentleman at our church and people would ask him, how you doing? And he had some issues and problems but he'd always say, I'm going to praise my way through it. I'm not really sure I understood it then. I understand it now. Whatever it is that we're facing, God is still in control, and he is still sovereign, and he is still who he is, and we should always be mindful of that and always be willing to praise his holy name. The third, the name of Jesus. I love this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now this whatever, this is not an expression of indifference or apathy. You know, people say, whatever, whatever. It's, that's not what he's talking about here. There is so much freedom and liberty in whatever. Please know, he says, whatever you do, there's no age limitation put on that. Young people, this applies to you. Older people, it applies to you. It doesn't have anything to do with education. Whether you're educated at an Ivy League school or whether you were educated in the school of hard knocks, it applies to you. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or what socioeconomic status you have, whether you're a student or the teacher, whether you're a crossing guard or a doctor, engineer, nurse, construction worker, parking lot attendant, accountant, baker, banker, CEO, lawyer. Yeah, okay, lawyer, sure, okay, lawyer. 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Simply this, that in every aspect of our life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now represent Jesus. We're acting under the authority of Jesus, and in fact, we're equipped and enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve. Have you ever been in traffic and a delivery truck blows by you or turns abruptly or cuts you off in traffic and you look at that truck and you immediately want to know, what company is that? Who is that? You're really not so much concerned about the driver as you are, what company is that? Because that driver's driving now represents that company. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in this time, beloved, all the world is really watching to see what authentic Christianity looks like. Everyone looks to see how you will respond if you've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Character, though, it's not the person you are in front of everybody. True Christian character is the person you are when nobody else is looking, when you're alone. If Jesus wouldn't look at it, why are you looking at it? If Jesus wouldn't say it, why are you saying it? If Jesus wouldn't go there, why are you going there? As we learn about these behaviors, this evidence, and how it should match our belief, you know, there's, there's no passive pursuit of holiness. You can't just sit and be passive about your walk with Christ. There's no passive pursuit of holiness. It requires intentionality and a life yielded to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that corrects, the Holy Spirit that convinces, the Holy Spirit that comforts, the Holy Spirit that convicts. As we look at our behavior, it has to cause us, doesn't it, to reflect and to ask some, some simple questions. Lord, what is it that you'd have me deal with? Lord, what is it that you'd have me give up? Lord, what is it that you want me to begin? And Lord, what is it that you want me to improve? Our behavior should be Christ-like. The evidence of a new life, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ. But there's something else here as well. If we look at the text again, look at verse 15 again. You're going to find this, he says at the end, be thankful. Huh. And if you look at verse 16, with thankfulness. And then in verse 17, giving thanks. You see it? Be thankful with thankfulness, giving thanks 
Thankfulness and gratitude is not an afterthought here. But let me ask you something. Why would a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ ever need to be reminded to give thanks to God? Thanks is not a, a token acknowledgement. Look around you. Look at this place. This is a magnificent structure by any standard. And for over 150 years, God has enabled this place to be a beacon of hope to the world, proclaiming the truth of God's word and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has blessed us. He has showered us with things and stuff. But our gratitude and our thanks is not about things and stuff. What do you think? That you have your stuff and your things because of your education, because of your connections, because of your family name? Beloved, all that we have and every good thing comes from God the Father and our thanks and our gratitude and our praise should be continuous. If he never did another thing for us, we could spend all eternity thanking him for who he is. Oh, I don't know that you hear me this morning. You see, we thank him for his holiness. He's uncompromised in his holiness. We thank him for his patience. We thank him for his compassion. We thank him for the price that he paid for our sins. We thank him for the sacrifice that he made. We thank him for his grace. We thank him for his mercy. We thank him for his faithfulness. God has kept every promise he's ever made and he's never made a promise that he couldn't keep. We thank him. It's all right, thank him. And we thank him for his love. We're not lucky, beloved, we're loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but will have eternal life. What do you believe? I'm asking you plain. What do you believe? I believe Jesus is exactly who he said that he was. God in the flesh. I believe he walked on this earth. I believe he healed the sick. I believe he cast out demons. I believe he gave sight to the blind. I believe he caused the lame to walk. I believe he was beaten and tortured and whipped. I believe that with each stripe, as his back and flesh were torn and he was ripped to the bone, that he never said stop, that he never said no more, 
I believe that he took my punishment for my sin. I believe he went to Calvary and had laid out on that cross for my sin. I believe he laid dead in the tomb for three days, and I believe that he rose again from the dead and that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. With every breath, beloved, we march closer to the time when we will see him. With each breath that you take, we come closer to that time when you will see him as King of kings and Lord of lords and Savior of the world. I'm asking you plain, what do you believe? There's rich theology in what we've looked at today in these three verses. We could linger and stop at any point and say the peace of Christ. Am I at peace with other people? And if not, why not? Am I simply being disobedient to what God has commanded because I don't want to do it? Because I'm offended? Or will I be obedient to God's word for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, and for the unity and harmony and accord of the body? We all can spend more time reading God's word. Amen? That should be our first impulse. That should be the muscle memory of our heart and our mind is to respond, what says the Lord? But you can't do that if you're not spending any time in God's word. That won't be your first response. Your flesh will react. We won't respond biblically. We'll react in our flesh. We all need help here. The name of Jesus. Do you really see yourself as an ambassador to the kingdom of heaven? Do you really take God everywhere you go? In your car, at work, at school, in your basement? I don't know where you are this morning, but the challenge that's presented in this passage is simply this. If we believe that God saved us and redeemed us and empowers us, our day-to-day -day behavior needs to reflect that. What do you believe? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I want you to spend just a moment or two with our Heavenly Father. And maybe you just, you're, you're feuding with somebody. You're not at peace with other believers. Would you start by just repenting of that and confessing that to God and ask God to go before you now and to promote peace and unity with you and whoever that is? Would you lay that at the feet of Jesus and ask him to superintend it this morning. Maybe you're not spending enough time in the word. You can fix that.
Repent and confess that to God right now. Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe there are people that interact with you, your neighbors and people at the barber shop and at the cleaners, and they would be surprised to hear that you're a Christian. Whatever your need is this morning, would you take it to our Heavenly Father? Now, I have to tell you this. You can't have peace with Christ, and you can't have the word of Christ, and you can't have that go under the name of Christ unless you're enabled by the Holy Spirit, and you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're saved, and beloved, you can't be saved without Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I, I don't even know if I'm saved. I'm glad you're here. Right where you're sitting. All you need to do is confess, repent, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, forgive me. That's all you need to say. Maybe you're not even sure how it is that you do believe. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you this morning. Whatever your need is, God has a supply. You need to be saved, Jesus saves. You need to be forgiven, confess your sins. Father, I've said what you'd have me to say. Do now, Lord, what only you can do. Encourage, equip, enable. Convict our hearts, Lord, of sin, of any behavior that's not consistent with our belief. Help us to be what it is that we say that we are. Children of the true God, ministers of reconciliation. Help them now, Father, I pray. Meet their needs now, I pray. In the matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior and our King. And amen.